Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Church, I read a story the other day that really touched my heart. It actually kind of made me tear up just a little bit. Archibald uh, Rutledge wrote a wrote when uh, he one day when he met a man whose dog had been killed in a forest fire. And of course, if you're a dog owner, you know exactly what we're talking about. But here's what he wrote. He said, "Heartbroken, the man explained to Rutledge how it happened. Because he worked out outdoors, he often took his dog with him." The morning he left, the animal in a clearing and gave him a command to stay and watch his lunch bucket while he went into the forest. His faithful friend understood, for that's exactly what he did. Then a fire started in the woods, and soon the blaze spread to the spot where the dog had been left. But he didn't move. He stayed right there. He was in perfect obedience to his master's word. With tearful eyes, the dog's owner said, I always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew that he would do it. You see, today, probably because of all the problems we had, I wanted to talk to you about something very important. You go, what's that? It's about confession and obedience. You see, as we approach this section of Scripture, we learn that the people are going to be cleansed from their sins. And you see, they had forsaken the Lord. They had to begin marrying basically pagan women. Some of your translations would say foreign women. Some were actually having offspring. They were having children with them. Now, you might think, well, Ben, 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 what's the big deal? What's the big deal? I mean, people get married like that all the time. Well, now, now listen, listen, this was not God's design. It was not for, designed for him to marry, for his children to marry foreign women or give basically their daughters to foreign men. And you go, well, Ben, why was this such a big deal? Why, why, why? Because he told us in Deuteronomy chapter 7, listen what he says. He says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you possess and has cast out many nations before you, who were these nations? He calls them out. He says, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. He says, seven nations. Right? And, and he's serious about this. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. When the Lord your God delivers them it over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. And he goes on to say, you shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them. And you shall not make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son nor, nor take their, their, you shall not give your daughter to their son nor take their daughter for your son. Verse four says, here's why. You ready? For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. That's the whole reason. He says, guys, now listen, the reason you're in this mess is because you're intermarrying and, and the problem is, is the, the Girgashites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Uptites and all of these nations were doing crazy Crazy stuff that you and I really can't, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us until we put it in perspective. You see, these nations were an abomination to God. These nations were doing things, they were causing the children of Israel to begin to worship other gods, which was, which was crazy. I mean, you're like, well, what do you mean? Well, he says, for they will turn your sons from following me to serve other gods. And it says, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and, and, and destroy you suddenly. 
marriage to the heathen would almost inevitably result in worship a heathen god. Malachi chapter 2 verse 11 tells us Judah had been unfaithful and detestable thing had been done in Israel and Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women and worshiping idols. That's what he says. Now back in Deuteronomy, he says, but thus you shall deal with them. What shall you do? What shall we do with these guys? You shall destroy their altars. You guys ready? Break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. Now, if you're taking note, you can circle that word or just jot down pillars because you go, what does it mean? Why was God so adamant to go, listen, when you go into the land, you need to destroy these Seven stronger nations, you need to destroy them and their altars and their pillars. Here's why. Listen, check this out. Pillars is associated with Baal worship. And Asherim, it were images of Asheroth, and she was the mother of 70 gods, including the god of Baal. So the pillars were a representative of foreign gods that would, in fact, well, you guys know this. You guys know that that false worship begins with just just some perverted things in worshiping foreign gods. And he says, listen, here's the thing. You're going to marry these women. They don't believe like you. You're going to marry, your, your sons are going to marry these women. These women are going to marry your sons. They don't believe like you. They're going to corrupt you. You're not even going to know who God is. And they're going to do some pretty wicked and ugly things. You, you guys tracking with me? I mean, you go, okay, but that doesn't mean anything, this foreign. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, think about our world today. We were having coffee a little bit earlier, and we were just talking about some of the stuff that we've seen on the internet. We don't know if it's true, but, but I mean, some of the weird just, just stuff that people do. Like, I read one today, okay? I read an article, and it just makes me, I mean, it's just, it's just, this is what's going on in Israel. This is what's going on in those four nations. You go, what was it? There was a man, 22 years old, and, a, and it, he got a 17-year-old girlfriend pregnant. Well, a 17-year-old girlfriend pregnant said, I can't. So, so they had this beautiful little girl, and they put her up for adoption. Wonderful little girl put her up for adoption. Wonderful couple adopted her. When she gets to be 18, she starts thinking, I want to find my birth parents. You know, so social media, she finds them. She reconnects with them. You would think the story would be amazing. Here's the problem. The problem was that she, she went in, and she found her mom, and they reconciled, and they found her dad, and she reconciled. Now, again, 18 years later, okay, and adoptive daughter. Well, all of a sudden, the mom says, well, let's, let's reconnect as a family. I know you have your adoptive parents, but why don't you move in with us? Article went on to say, as they, she moved in, something strange began to happen in the house. The biological dad began spending more time in the daughter's room. She, he began to sleep on the daughter's floor. Oh, we're just talking. We're reconnecting. Well, come to find out. She said, something's not right. He became really distant. It's just weird. Well, she ended up filing for divorce. And she would notice that her 11-year-old would come every time she left daddy's house. It was a mess, and she was, she was angry and frustrated. And one day, mom got enough courage to read this little girl, this 11-year-old girl's diary. And it was, well, you guys know what it is. What they found out was, the dad was having relations with his biological daughter at 18 and decided that he wanted to marry her and convinced her that they were... And I'm going, this is nuts! Who does this? 
In our society, we read that and we go, what? Dad, no, this is crazy. And you go, Ben, I don't know if that's true. Even if it's not, here's the point I want to make. This is what's going on. There, there, there's some weird junk going on. And God has seen these foreign nations and he's telling Israel, please stay away from that. Because not only is it going to take you from worshiping me, it's going to lead you into a path that's ugly and yucky and death. You see, sometimes when we think of worship, we think, well, I used to be a, you know, I mean, I used to be a Dallas Cowboy fan. Now, I don't like the Cowboys. I like the Redskins. And everybody goes, boo, I get it. But that's how we think worship is. I went from one team to another. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about taking you away from a God that you loved, from a God that you served, from a God that you heard, from a God who knocked in your heart, to now you're, you don't even know what you're worshiping. It's crazy, weird stuff. And then I was thinking about this, too. This just happened a year back or so in Albuquerque. In Albuquerque, this poor year, 12-year-old girl from 10 to 12, after this mom allowed her boyfriend to come in, and they did unspeakable things to this, this poor little girl before they killed her. And the mom sat there and watched. And I'm going, Jesus, this is, this is sick, Right? We live in a sick world. But that's exactly what he's saying here. That's exactly what he's saying. And so again, you gotta, you gotta remember, guys, that's, that's what he's getting to here when he comes to it, right? He's saying exactly. He's saying, guys, listen, here, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. You guys need to break down their sacred pillars. You need to cut down their, you, there needs to not even be a hint of that because they're going to take you from worshiping me and to serve other gods, the gods of Baal, the gods of Astaroth, right? And then he says in verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 7, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. Now, here's what blows my mind. You ready? If you're taking note, jot this down. There were 17 priests, 10 Levites were among those who broke God's command, right? God says, do not marry them, guys. Do not. Why? They're going to lead you away from serving me. Do not marry them. 17 priests and 10 Levites came in, and they actually broke God's commands. You go, pastor, what's your point? Jot this down. Please do not lift up any pastor or minister in high esteem. Please do not. I understand we like preference. I understand we like, well, that's my pastor. And here's what pastors should be. They should be a shepherd for you. They should be a shepherd to lead you and guide you. But please do not put them on a pedestal. Because look, in the scripture, we see that these were 17 of what Israel would go, that's my pastor. That's my priest. That, And now they're breaking God's commands. And you go, well, pastor, what, what, what's your point? Here it is. You ready? Guys, they can sin, pastors or ministers, just as easily as anyone else. They can sin and blow it. They can get caught in the trap of being human and blow it just like anyone else. You go, well, what should we do, pastor? You ready? Lift up the name of Jesus and only Jesus. Listen, we were not part of a church, but we were part of a church that the pastor, okay, ended up 
with moral failure, okay, and the church died, literally. And the point is, is that should never be because we lift up Jesus, not a pastor. I don't care what kind of gift the pastor has. I don't care what kind of charisma the pastor has. We should never look to the pastor. Yes, yes, I get it. I'm accountable for your souls. I get out to stand before God and go, okay, Lord, I preached the word as best I could. I loved the sheep. But the thing about it, if anything were to happen to any pastor, we should keep on serving Jesus. There should be no other human being that determines your walk with God. There should be nobody else. Somebody stumbles and falls, you still serve Jesus. Somebody you really look, look up to, maybe one of the, right? Maybe one of the, 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 the greats, one of the big guys. We should still lift up Jesus. Now, pastors, leaders, all of us, here's what we should do. We should determine to finish well. Billy Graham finished well. Pastor Chuck finished well. We need to determine to do this. Now, we honor the office of the pastor, but let's remember that always, let's remember always that pastors and leaders can and will blow it from time to time. And that's where we have grace and we have mercy. We understand they're just as human. You know, Ben, well, what happens when we find ourselves in a place like Israel, right? They're caught in the middle of sin. They've broken God's commands. Well, here's the thing, guys. We can do one or two things. If you're taking notes, jot this down. We can ignore the conviction and continue in our sinful ways and ignore the warning signs. Okay, we're, right in the, we're caught right in the middle of sin. What can we do? One of two things. Number one, we can just ignore it. We can just ignore it, right? You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You sort of shrug it off. You go, okay, no, I'm good. Everything else, right? I mean, think about this. I read this uh, illustration in the book Revolving Everyday Conflict. Ken Sandy tells of a very revealing story about a time when he watched a visually impaired woman resist the repeated warning of her loyal and protective dog. He writes this, one day... During my morning run, I noticed a blind woman walking on the other side of the street with her seeing eye dog, a beautiful golden retriever. As I was about to pass them, I noticed a car blocking the driveway a few paces ahead of them. At that moment, the dog paused and gently pressed his shoulder against the woman's leg, signaling her to turn aside so they could get around the car. I'm sure she normally followed his lead, But that day, she didn't seem to trust him. She had probably walked this route many times before and knew this was not the normal place to make a turn. Whatever the cause, she wouldn't move to to the side, and instead, she gave him the signal to move ahead. He again pressed his shoulder against her leg, trying to guide her on the safe path. She angrily ordered her to go forward. And when he again declined... Her temper flared. I was about to speak up, he writes, when the dog once more put his shoulder against her leg. Sure enough, she kicked him. She kicked him, and she impulsively stepped forward and bumped square into the car. Reaching out to feel the shape 
of the front of the car, she immediately realized what had happened. Dropping to her knees, she threw her arms around the dog and spoke sobbing words into his ear. You see, again, many times, guys, we have read or heard of warning signs. We felt the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. And how many times has he been sort of nudging us to go, hey, don't walk down that path, hey, right? And, and, and we go, I'm okay, I'm all right, until we, we realize. You see, we can do that. We can, we can not listen to the warning signs. And we can do exactly until we realize it was God all along warning us. And keeping us. Or the second thing we can do, you ready? We can repent. Everybody say repent. Okay, four of us. Everybody say repent. Good, you're all awake. And we can, we can be cleansed. How, pastor? By confession and obedience. So we could ignore it, or we can go, Lord, I am so sorry, and it can bring us to repentance. Repentance. So here's my thought, guys. Here's my thought. When you're convicted, now, again, remember, there's a difference between being convicted by God's beautiful, wonderful Holy Spirit when he begins to so gently knock on our hearts and say, hey, hey, don't go that way. Listen, there's a car right there. You're going to, no, I'm fine. Please, right? And, and, and he stops and he says, no, no, listen, if you continue on this path, there's going to be consequences. And I love you so much that, that I don't want to say, and you could go, no, I'm good. Ever ever been there? Oh, sure, I've been there. I've been there, ignoring God's Holy Spirit. And here's what I love about God. He puts agents of stop always in our way. He puts agents of stop. No, watch this. There's a hurdle. Oh, no, this is... And we ignore it, or we can repent. We can go, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, we got to hurry because I spent 20 minutes trying to get my iPad together. Now, remember what we covered last week, right? Chapters 9 and 10. They go hand in hand. Okay, Pastor Ezra was broken by sin. Oh, not his sin personally, but the sin of his nation. Now, again today, I was thinking about the message, and Josh and I were talking, and he was telling me about a story. Several stories, in fact, but the one I remembered was a kid got in a fight with probably a younger sibling over a controller for a video game. They got in a fight, and he went and got the family gun and came back and, yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, you see, that doesn't, no, 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 it does, it does hit close to home because, because we should be grieving over the sin of our own nation, of our own nation. He told me another story. He said, did you read the one about the 20-year-old whose parents said, it's time for you to get out. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to leave. That he was so upset, he went and he, he, he left and he came back and he strangled his mother and shot his father. And, and guys, we should be like Ezra. It's the sin of our nation. We should be... Are, are we... And so what happens is they were in sin. They were marrying what? They were marrying pagan women and worshiping idols. 
So they move to confession. You guys remember Ezra's prayer. He's like, dear Lord, please, I'm totally ashamed. And he's just praying and he's praying and he's praying. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing, weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men came and gathered to him from Israel for the people wept bitterly. Here's my question to you, your attention, please. When was the last time we drew people to our church because of prayer? Or even to us. What does prayer look like in our lives? And I see the scripture. Look, Ezra was praying and he was confessing and he was weeping and he was bound down. Now listen guys, I love you. And so I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy that goes, you need to pray this way. But I want you to see when you pray, are you praying to God or are you praying for others to hear? I don't think Ezra's worried about what other people are going to think. He's not their Lord. Those gracious God, we are here. It's me, Pastor Ezra. And, and, and people are like, wow, let's go. He's, he's tripping. He's on his, guys, he is on his face. And he's confessed, God, please save us. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, God. We are murdering our babies every day. I'm so sorry that we've taken a turn as a nation, God. We were one nation under God. And Lord, we are, we are losing it, Lord. We're losing it. And so, again, all of a sudden, guess what happens, guys? (sighs) People come to him and and they gather around him. Now, before we move on, just to let you know, remember, guys, Ezra is broken down into two sections. We know chapter 1 through 6 deals with the initial return, right? The chapters 1 through 6 deals with the rebuilding the foundation of the temple. That's what they were there for. But then chapter 7 to 10, God's going to rebuild the foundation of the people's heart. The people's heart. And so, again, that's where we go through, right? The foundation of the temple. Now, we do know that between verses chapter 6 and 7, there's a 58-year gap. Which book, guys, was written during that time? The book of Esther. Very good, very good. Now... The key lesson, guys, the key lesson in all of what we learned is this. You ready? Disobedience and idolatry. That was the key lesson that we have learned. Why? Because that was the very cause for, that was the very cause for the captivity. That's why they went into Babylon in the first place. Now, if you recall, guys, Jeremiah preached for 40 years begging them to turn away, to turn away from their idols. They were worshiping. Now, think about it. Think about how ugly. Think about what what Jeremiah saw. And he goes, guys, please turn. You're turning. Listen, listen, you're going to have kids and and they're going to grow up not knowing my God. They're going to grow up in a world and and. And he's, and he's begging them. And he's begging them. You see, what Jeremiah realized, guys, is that the idols had completely engulfed God's people. And you go, well, pastor, I got a question. What's that? How does that apply to me? How does that apply to me? Well, if you're taking note, here's what we need to remember, guys, that we all have idols. We all have idols. And if you're taking note, jot this down. We all have surface idols, but we all have source idols. 
You go, okay, well, what's the difference? Well, number one, let's talk surface idols real quick. Surface idols, okay? Surface, surface idols are what you tend to be able to see. You go, well, give me an example. Okay, number one, how about an image idolatry? How you look, this is what you want, you want people to see. What you want, this is the image that you want to project. And you will go to great lengths to provide and what people see. Whether it's going to debt to buy clothes, whatever it might be, that's the image. Some of us have a work idolatry. Our identity depends on what job we do. And so you have an idol. That's the surface. People can see that. We also have an achievement idolatry. What we can achieve. Look at me. This is my success. This is what I've shown. Let me show you my accolades. Here they are. Here they are. Some people have a surface idol called materialism. Materialism. I'll never forget. <laughs> I'll never forget. I was corrected by my loving wife. She's amazing. But we got invited to a house of a good friend, and it was a party. And this was a this was a man who um, owned his own business, a very wealthy man. And I walked in this house, and I was like, I'd never seen anything like that. The TV was as big as the wall. I'd never seen anything like that. And Nathalie's like, um, put your jaw up. I was like. She kept doing this because I was just, she's like, and it was, it was so crazy, but they had everything you could ever imagine. And then you walk out and there's the pool. And I'm like, there's a pool. Now, now listen, you laugh, but what's the one thing we think of? Why can't I have a pool? Why can't I have this? Right? Why can't I have this? And so we got to be careful, guys. And you go, well, pastor... Is it wrong to have possessions? Only if possessions have you. Well, you go, what else? Well, there's also, there's also the religion idolatry. If, if I'm adhering to my, my religion's moral codes and ethics, then yay for me. You see, these are all, guys, these are all surface. But what I really want to talk about is the source idols. The source idols. You go, well, what do you mean? Well, there are four source idols that we can really talk about. Number one, this is the source. This is where it comes from. Okay, these other ones are surface, but jot this down. There's the comfort idol, the comfort idolatry. Okay? The person with the comfort idol seeks comfort. They want privacy. They want lack of stress. They want freedom. They want comfort. They're going to worship comfort. Everybody got that, right? And you go, what's the price they have to pay? The price they have to pay is productivity that breeds laziness. That's what it's going to be. You go, well, what's their biggest nightmare? Stress and demands. If you're worshiping comfort, the one thing that is your nightmare is stress and time demands. You've got to be here. You've got to be there. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You go, well, I don't have that. I thrive on pressure. I, yeah, I love the stress. When I'm stressed out is when I do my best, okay? Well, we'll get to you. Hold on. Here's the second. Here's the second source out. You ready? It's the approval idolatry. The approval. This is the person, what you seek if you worship approval is approval. What do you mean? You want everybody to like you. 
You want all the affirmation. You want love. You want relationships. You're best friends with everybody. On one team, you're over here and they're like, I hate this people. You're like, yeah, me too. And then these people over here go, I love this guy. And you're like, yeah, me too. And, and again, you just want everybody to like you. That's the approval idolatry. You go, what's the price I pay? It's independence. Why? Because you'll always need someone in your life. You go, what's your biggest nightmare? You ready? Rejection. That's your biggest nightmare, that somebody would think bad of you and reject you. Others often feel smothered by you. That's the approval. I want everybody to like me. What's the third one? The third one is the control idol. The control idol, right? The control of everything. Control, self-discipline, standard. This is what we're going to do. You, you know, if you're, if you have the idol that's control, here's your biggest, here's your, here's, here's what comes out of your mouth more often than not. Why can't you just? Am I talking to anybody? Why can't you just? That's control. You're worshiping control, right? You're right. Self-discipline. You've got standards. I live by a very strict set of rules. This is what we do. And if we do this, this is what should happen. Any questions? Here's the problem. The price for that, listen, loneliness and spontaneity. Spontaneity. You cannot do something spontaneous. That would trip you out, right? Your nightmare, guys, is uncertainty. Uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen. And here's your problem emotion. You ready? You worry a lot. You worry a lot. Here's the funny thing about this idol, right? You want to control everything, and then you can't control, which leads you to worry, and when you worry, you want to control everything. You see how it works? And you're worshiping control, okay? That's a, that's a source. And the last one, guys, is, a, is the power idolatry. Power and influence over others. Power and influence over others. What's the price you pay? You're burdened and you bear responsibility. What's the nightmare? Humiliation. You go, what are you talking about? For this person who worships power, it's not just about winning. It's not about losing. Right? It's not about winning, but it's not about losing. You will do everything you can to not lose. It's not even about winning. It's just that you're not going to lose. This person would run over her own, his, his or her own grandma to win. Right? You go, okay, here it goes. Ready? You know what the problem emotion is this? Anger. Anger. Guys, we, it was Tim Keller who writes in his book, we all have idol. And again, when we think of idols, we think of our team. Yay, let's, let's go and we worship our teams. I get that. But, but if we were to dig a little bit deeper, gosh, I find some of these in my life. I find some of these in my life. If you would just do what I say, everything would be good and I wouldn't be worried. <laughs> well, it sounds like you got a control, bro, and you got a power. Yeah, I'm angry and worried at the same time. Lord, help me. Well, that's how it applies to us. But see, these people here, they didn't, well, they didn't repent. Of course, they were taken captive, where? 70 years in Babylon. 
And Ezra comes and he pleads and he says, let's not make the same mistake, guys. Let's not make the same mistake. You're, we're headed right there. Repent, cleanse yourselves, confess, and, and obey the Lord. And obey the Lord. So that's where we are. And we pick up in verse 9. If you're taking note, I'm calling this message, the cleansing of the people. And they were given three days to come to Jerusalem. Look at verse 7. And they issued a proclamation throughout Judea and Jerusalem to all the descendants of captivity that they must gather at Jerusalem and that whoever would not come within three days according to the instructions of the leaders and the elders, all his property would be confiscated and he himself would be separated from the assembly to those from the captivity. So now we pick it up in verse 9. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered in Jerusalem within three days. And it was about the ninth month and the twenty, on the twentieth, it was on the ninth month on the twentieth of the month. And all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of the matter and because of the heavy rain. So they gathered, here's the date, December 8th, 457 BC. That's when they gathered everyone together. Now, the people trembled. Okay, they were tripping. You go, why? For two reasons. They were worried about God's punishment, right? They had already walked down that road. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? I want you to think of your grandma and your grandpa. I want you to think of your uncles and your aunts. I want you to think of your family members. They had already died in Babylon. You lost them because of idolatry, and 70 years they were in captivity, and, 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 and you knew, and you, they, you lost them. And now, Israel as a whole is, is again, look, look what they're doing. They're, they're marrying, even the priests and the Levites, everything's out of control. 86 people they named, plus many, many more. And now they're going, no, and so they're trembling because they go, oh God, what is he gonna do? I don't wanna be taken 900 miles away from my home again. And so they feared God's punishment. But they also trembled for another reason. And I find Ezra very interesting. You go, what was that? And they feared because it was raining and it was cold. It was cold. It's cold rain. And they're sitting there. Now, here's the thing. Think about this, guys. There it was. Ezra calls everyone together and it begins the downpour, right? A downpour of cold rain in December in Jerusalem. It's cold. It's just as cold as here. How many of us would say, Ezra, dude, listen, bro, hey, this is cool, but we're going to stay in. It's raining. You know, I don't have my umbrella. Forgot my galoshes. Everything's good. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up with you. Tell me, send me the PDF on that, okay? Good night. These guys are, they're, they're so serious about their sin. That they're standing there and they're going, oh, Lord, please forgive us. And they're cold because of the rain. They're not letting a little bit of element keep them from repentance. A little bit of weather. A little bit of weather. I find this a remarkable response to a remarkable call Ezra made in the preceding verses. The... Unified response was another evidence of the moving of the Holy Spirit among among God's people. This response had been seen as the Holy Spirit moved upon God's people. It was the Holy Spirit that brought people together. Guys, think about it. Think about it. 
I think we need to pray for revival in the way that we ask God's Holy Spirit to fall once again. That we would be so moved by our convictions to confession and repentance. Guys, as a nation, can I get an amen? As a people and as a church. Every Sunday morning I stand up here, guys, and I say, Every Sunday morning I stand up here and I say, man, I want you to have an encounter with Jesus. Well, that's only possible through God's Holy Spirit. Now, listen, can, can I just chat with you for just a moment? I know we don't have much time. We've got about 10 minutes. But, but here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see, guys, that, again, Ezra, as the leader, he has the right frame of mind. He begins to pray. He begins to repent. He begins to be broken. The people gather around them. He makes a proclamation. He says, in three days, I want everybody here because we've got to fix the remedy. We've got to fix the situation. And, and, and so he's crying out. And all of a sudden, and, and I mean, there's a move of God's spirit that even the cold rain wouldn't keep them from coming. And they're trembling. And I'm just thinking about this, guys, in, in light of, of, I mean, I mean, in light of who we are, and I'm just wondering, it's like, look, I think for me, when was the last time that we trembled at God's word? And just opening it up and saying, that's the holy word of God. And, and, and just thinking, God, where, where am I with you? And again, because here's why. Listen, we can do church. We can do church. We can come to church and we be like, we're in church. Hey man, how you doing, brother? High five, sister. Good job. Ah, it was funny today. Pastor's iPad wouldn't work and we sat there for 10 minutes and he couldn't get it to work and it was silly and then we went late. We need to go more and go, God, you need to search our hearts. You need to search our hearts, Father. We need to ask for God's fire to fall, to move in our lives like never before. Guys, the enemy wants to get us to sleep. The enemy wants us to just be lulled to sleep, just like this, and be like, hey, we just do church, man. Lubbock, Texas, Calvary Chapel. Listen, listen, if you and I are going to be used by God, we need to be filled by God's Spirit to go out and reach our community. There are so many people who are hurting and broken, and, and, and God says, I, 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 choose, I choose you. Well, we come to verse 10, and it says, And Ezra the priest stood up and said, You have transgressed and taken pagan wives, adding to the guilt of Israel. Now, everybody see verse 10? I wondered, when I was, when I was writing my sermon, I wondered how many... Um, I just wondered how many of us We try to misinterpret that. You go, what do you mean? Ezra comes out and he's pretty clear. He's guys like, listen, guys, you sinned. You've transgressed. You've taken, right? It's pretty clear. He doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush. He's not going, hey, uh, listen, listen, man. Um, listen, there's been some stuff that's been done wrong. I don't know. I don't know if I should judge or anything. Ezra's going, listen. Ezra says, guys, listen, you've transgressed. You knew the you knew God's command and you did it anyway, and you're adding the guilt upon Israel. And I love that Pastor Ezra was pretty clear. And then people were not saying, I'm not sure what that means.
I was reading an article. And um, I need to finish it. But the premise was really simple. You guys heard the, you've heard that saying. I've even preached it. You know, we love the sinner but hate the sin. Anybody hear that? We love, we love the sinner but hate the sin. But, but here's my point. The article went on to just kind of allude to the fact that we're not doing anybody any, we're not really loving the sinner if we allow them in the lifestyle they are without really speaking truth into their lives. Of course we hate the sin. Amen? We should despise the sin. Why? Because it's destroying lives. And, and so this article says, hey, listen, maybe, maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe we, we, we need to love, we need to just love the, the, the people back to life by telling them the truth. I think Ezra gives us a good example. He says, you have sinned. You have sinned, and sometimes we are so loving and we're so careful, and we don't want to hurt your feelings, and so we'll sidestep it. No, you're a good person. You're okay. Listen, you just got a little, you just got a little boo-boo right here, and you just got a little area. Okay, no, it's okay. And instead of going, listen, listen, sweetie, this is going to kill you if you keep going down that lifestyle. Trust me, I'm not doing this for me. I see your heart, and, and I know and we, and we tell them the truth, but we tell them with a lot of love and a lot of conviction. Right? And, and, and here's what you get. Judge not, lest you be judged. And I'm going, no, 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 no. here's the thing. Here's what I want to do. I first want to take, I want to look and make sure I don't have a big beam in my eye. But I'm going to tell you the truth, you've got a speck in yours. And I love you enough to tell you you've got a speck. Well, you've got a beam. I know. Help me. I've got a beam in my eye. First, let's remove this. Ah. Okay, now let's help you. You see, that's not a, it's not an either end. Jesus didn't say either end. He goes, first remove the what? The plank from your eye, and then you'll be able to see and help the person with the speck. And I, and I just think about this right here, guys. I just think, Ezra stood up and he said to the people, you've sinned. You, here's your sin. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out. You have taken pagan wives and you're adding the guilt of Israel. And here's the remedy, verse 11. Now therefore, make confession to the Lord of your fathers, to the Lord God of your fathers, and to do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from pagan wives. Guys, I'm going to close with this. This is the remedy for each one of us. When we find ourselves in the midst of sin, maybe maybe we're dealing with surface idols, maybe we're dealing with source idols, maybe here's what we need to do, guys. We need to we need to allow the Lord to cleanse us how? By confessing and obedience. Confession and obedience. God, forgive me. I'm going to do your will. And Lord, I'm going to separate myself from the people that that are dragging me back into idolatry. There are people in our lives, church, that are sincere when they ask you about Jesus and they want to know 
And then there's others that, have you ever felt like you're casting your pearls before swine? They're just, they're just trying to mock you. They don't really want to know the truth. Some of those people, we just got to say, hey, may the Lord bless you. And, and, and listen, if you're, when you're sincere, then we can sit down and talk. But, but I'm not, I'm not going to keep telling you about Jesus when you just mock. And you try to find contradictions in everything I say. I'm telling you the truth. If you die in your sins, you're going to be separated from a God that loves you. And if you die in your sins, it's your choice. And I love you enough to tell you the truth. And so we come to the place where Ezra says we need to confess and we need to let that cleanse happen by just confessing it to the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've allowed things in my eye gate. I'm sorry I've allowed things in my ear gate that are not pleasing to you. Lord, I'm sorry that I've said things that aren't pleasing, that aren't glorifying to you. Lord, I confess my sin to you, Lord. And 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, that's my confession. Lord, we love you tonight, and we thank you. You're wonderful and amazing. Lord, may your spirit do the work. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.